0: Hey Lauren,
1: Yeah.
0: is Horde Prime hot? Yeah. If someone's listening to this straight through, I think they're going to get a huge kick out of that.
1: I think, okay, like run the theme song and then after clarify that that's why we did that. Just be like... I'll just
0: use this talk right now.
1: <laughs> no, I hate it. Hi everybody,
0: welcome to She-Ra Progressive Power. My name's Eric.
1: And I'm Lauren
0: before we recorded that i was like lauren do you trust me with the cold open and she said yes and then that's where we got that's what trust gets you it's always a mistake radio (laughs) (laughs) anyway uh it's just me and lauren this week guys we're not done with the guests yet but uh we we are taking a little break uh just so you can hear us talk for a second i'm sure you love that right
1: you know, I was watching the credits for this uh, episode for An Ill Wind, and we have talked to most of the people involved with this one. It made me feel pretty special and pretty cool.
0: So what you're saying is, like, it would have been pointless to bring in, a guest, basically, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, we've talked to everybody, <laughs> right? That's, everybody, that's not true.
0: There's no one else who's worked on she that people have wanted us to talk to, <laughs> so... Guys, don't get your hopes up, or do. Uh,
1: Lorraine Tucson, I'm still, I still got uh, my fingers crossed.
0: Wouldn't that be amazing? I I feel like, <laughs> you know, how we talk about how Natasha and Spinarella are like the adults in the show who have their own shit and they, like they have their stuff together. That's how I feel about Lorraine. Like no shade at all on anybody who's come on our show, but I feel like even like explaining to her, like, okay, this is a podcast by two thirty-something people who talk about politics and also She-Ra. I feel like she's already tuned out, right? She's like, I've got my life to live.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think many celebrities these days would be so out of touch that they would like not know what a podcast is. I bet most of them know what a podcast is at this point, but some of them certainly aren't doing podcasts.
0: Yeah, and then some of them are doing lots of podcasts now. Uh, let's talk about Office Ladies. Let's talk about... Uh, fake doctors real friends or all, all of these comedians who realize that rewatch podcasts for shows they were on is uh, is a good way to keep your name out there during covid
1: i listen to office ladies and unfortunately they hit one of my pet peeves all the time and that is like shining a spotlight on their children when their children have nothing to do with the show, and I don't want to hear from them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, so this is what I know we talk about The Office a lot, but I just learned yesterday that um, the actor who plays Kevin is also doing an Office podcast for Spotify, an oral history of The Office.
1: Well, that's weird.
0: Isn't that weird?
1: it's like competition it's like earwolf versus spotify or something
0: so he says it's not like their show at all because it's more like a documentary where they talk to lots of people versus like very narrow focus on like single episodes i don't know look i don't know but it literally is earwolf versus spotify
1: i just feel like um there's only so many behind the scenes facts and nuggets that exist like there's gotta be overlap
0: Lauren, if you could be on a major podcast network, would you rather be on Earwolf or Spotify?
1: Oh, probably Spotify, but I know that's saying, like, I would love to work for the man.
0: <laughs> so, what I like about Spotify is, presumably, you would not have to worry about licensing any music for your show, but I have to pick Earwolf, because you guys know where my heart lies. Anyway, do you want to talk about Shira and stuff?
1: Yeah, I, you know... No guest, but our opinions still matter to someone, I hope.
0: Yeah, I think so. We certainly have gotten a lot of letters about our opinions this week. We're not going to talk about them quite yet.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm really really trying to figure out what to do with this mountain of Catra messages.
0: I just want to say I appreciate everybody, and even the people who are critical, I think have gone out of their way to be very nice in their criticism, and I really appreciate that.
1: Yes, we get the most awesome letters from the most awesome fans. Even the people who are, like, writing to give us the business always have an opening paragraph about, like, how much they appreciate that we're doing this. And that's how you keep me reading until the end because I don't handle disagreement very well.
0: I mean, honestly, though, I do think it makes a difference because it's the difference between, like, yelling at someone you don't know on the internet and, like, having an intelligent discussion with them, right? To me. Like, I, I am always happy to for someone to intelligently present... Uh, criticisms of things i have said i'm less happy for them to yell at me out of the blue
1: and the thing about the the catra related letters we've gotten since last week is sincerely they cover the entire spectrum of opinions that you could have like eric and lauren are right eric and lauren are wrong catra's great catra's terrible she deserves redemption no she doesn't if we were to read all of them we would just have sort of a pastiche of every opinion you could have, and then they would yes. just all cancel each other out.
0: <laughs> it's true. I'll just say, look, I'm preparing a statement. Um, you'll have it in about two weeks. I'm sending it to our lawyers, our legal team, our PR team. It's going to be thoroughly vetted. And at the end of it, you won't know anything more about what I think about Katra, but I sure will have said a lot.
1: Ah, that doesn't sound like it's based on anything you've experienced recently in real life at all
0: so anyway the episode we're covering today is called <laughs> an ill wind um this episode is cool and i i really i have like big theories about it but i guess i should recap it first so the best friend squad plus returns to etheria uh their home but home is pretty fucked so they realize in short order that horde prime and his goons have basically chipped most of their old allies, and uh, they vis- They go to the nearest village uh, like where they land by, which is Airlandia. The dream of the 90s is alive there, I'm told. <laughs> and um, basically the whole town is either full of robots, clones, or people who are terrified of the princesses and the rebellion. Because since most of the rebels who remained on Etheria are chipped, they now seem like they're also the bad guys. So in a very kind of classic Shira moment like this whole episode kind of the the rebels have to convince the townspeople that like they're not the bad guys and kind of fight to free this town that doesn't want to stand up for itself uh mostly against N- uh, Spinarella, who is the like chipped soldier who is set uh to bring in the best friend squad and they fight her natasha shows up Spinarella gets away but it seems like maybe her personality is lingering under the chip and then the rebels go back to their base and have nice reunions and horde prime feels shitty that they outsmarted his goons and is coming to etheria himself
1: the the hot horde prime we have agreed right
0: yeah hot horde prime i also you didn't ask my opinion because comic timing <laughs> dictated that you not but i also would say horde prime is hot
1: Great. Um, I'm glad we got Keston on before this episode, and now he doesn't have to deal with knowing these opinions.
0: We're not trying to objectify any real people, but cartoon people can get it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Weird. Okay.
0: It is weird. I regret saying that. Don't cancel me.
1: Ah, cancel culture. I think that's what we got to talk about this week, but we'll get there.
0: We'll get there.
1: So... This is the episode that Lookie's in, by the way.
0: It is, yes. It is in the little uh, montage at the beginning of the people rebelling against Horde Prime. You can see Lookie.
1: I'm really excited that uh, Ryan pointed that out to us. It blows my mind. But Lookie is actually in this episode twice. Nuh-uh. Yes. So the character is only there once. But when they duck into that shop in Irlandia with the Mushroom Lady... He's on, like, a tapestry. His picture's on a tapestry on the wall.
0: Oh, shit. I didn't notice that.
1: More looky. And now that there's two lookies in an episode, now I feel like it's just potential for infinite lookies. Like, what if I missed one? What if I didn't see my son?
0: I know. I mean, there's all sorts of fun background cameos. I I feel like there's probably others in this episode because there's lots of background business, but I didn't notice any.
1: Yeah, the star siblings were also in that montage at the beginning, and I didn't see them the first time I watched through either, which shows that, like, unless unless you really tune in, it's so easy to just ignore background stuff like set dressing. But there's, like you said, there's a lot in there.
0: And there's kind of a lot happening in that moment. It kind of very quickly flashes between three or four different scenes. And I feel like, yeah, it's like I'm kind of trying to take in the plot of what we're seeing, and I'm missing the little Easter eggs.
1: Yeah, we're riding high on a lot of emotions at that point, because the episode opens with Glimmer being able to do magic again, and she's so excited, and Wrong Hordak feels warmth on his face, and he's so excited, too. That um, is
0: such a good moment. That's warmth, buddy.
1: <laughs> it's a living planet. Meanwhile, Catra is, like, ill and getting punched in the face for the whole episode, which... You know, if you wanted to give me, if you wanted to make me feel some sympathy for Katra, this is the episode, this is the way. Because she does not deserve the bullshit that she goes through, the literal violence she gets this whole time. Frosta at the end just decking her, oh my god.
0: But also I think that, like, Frosta and Natasha both kind of stand in as audience surrogates. Like, they're supposed to help us, they, they kind of lampshade how bizarre the situation is, right? Of like... Oh, Katra's with us now. Also that Hordak clone is with us now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I guess if this were if if, if I were in that position, I would probably like be the Natasa, so I shouldn't judge them so quickly.
0: But you wouldn't be the Frosta. You wouldn't just straight up deck someone with ice fists. Which also it seems like Katra it must be pretty hardy, because that doesn't really knock her out it looks like it hurts
1: right it's the animation i thought her freaking jaw was gonna be broken i think it it says something about catra's power <laughs> i mean we already said she doesn't have a superpower but supernatural like resilience might be there for heaven's sake
0: i know right well i guess i mean nine lives did they ever make that joke in the show if they didn't they should they
1: should have right then huh
0: copyright eric or this is why This is why I should be a Hollywood writer I'm telling you
1: are you the person who's secretly been hired to write the secret She-Ra movie
0: (laughs) yeah Lauren and I were talking before the recording about how that's been like trending and I really do think one is gonna come we can talk about it more at the end of the episode I want to say this is with no like literally everyone at DreamWorks has been like it's over the closest anyone came to saying anything was Keston joking about how Horde Prime jumped at the very end of the series but, again, we'll talk about that later. Um, I just have a gut feeling that more Shira will be coming eventually. But, anyway, this She-Ra is here now.
1: Yeah, I literally was quiet at that moment because I wrote it down. I was writing down the word movie to make sure we circled back to it at the end of this episode. Because if we promised we were going to talk about it and then we didn't, it's just more emails. It's more emails in the pile. Movie.
0: Yes. <laughs> So many emails. Thank you all for writing again. We're sorry. It's it's a lot right now. Other things are happening, but we love you. Okay, so here's my big thing about this episode, Lauren. This reminded me so much, I kind of alluded to, of a classic Princess of Power episode. Mm-hmm. It has all the hallmarks of, like, we're going to a town we've never seen before. The town is occupied by the Horde. The villagers are cowed into submissive fear, and they don't trust the rebels any more than the Horde. To them, it's violence no matter where you look, right? And so the rebels have to convince the townspeople that they're the good guys and that the town is worth saving. And I, I kind of want to call back... Our, do you remember our second episode, Duel at Devlin, which I remember you did not enjoy? Kind of a... um template for a lot of Shira episodes where your ultimate argument was it's kind of bogus that the show wants you to think that oppressed people should be in charge of getting rid of their oppressors. And I guess I wonder whether... Now, let me say I don't think Ilwin copies that because I think in this, this probably is closer to what you would originally have liked to see, where the princesses do pretty much all of the work. Like, they don't ask the townspeople to actually fight. They save them and then do the fighting. But I wonder if the kind of current political climate, Lauren, has changed your opinion at all about something like Duel at Devlin, about asking the oppressed to do the liberating.
1: Sure. It's a good question. I especially appreciate how deeply we're going back into the history of this podcast. We don't talk about those episodes that much, but... um,
0: it, honestly, the fact that this took place in a town square, I was like, oh yeah, that's She-Ra. <laughs> that's classic Shira."
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think the verb, like, act, uh, I mean, ask or expect, you know, that's that's where I really get prickly. I don't think the oppressed population should be expected to do the work or asked to do the labor. But if a group has the spoons, as they say, or the resources to rise up, then absolutely, like, awesome, that's a great story. I just don't like when the story crosses the line and makes it the responsibility of those people. What this episode does well is that it acknowledges the population who did the damage can also help fix it and now obviously you can't put princesses all in the same bin here because some of them are with the horde and some of them are with the rebellion but one of my favorite moments of this episode is when the shopkeeper says do you really think it makes a difference to us if one of them is technically chipped or not you know we're having our homes destroyed and it's not fair so does intent really matter does a tiny chip we've never seen matter uh, and the princesses who are still uh, free-thinking step up and help. They help do the work and they repair the pain that has been caused, or at least get the town moving in that direction. Nobody ever. Well, I'm not going to say nobody because Bo definitely asks the Irlandians to join the rebellion, but it's 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 still asking for consent. It's seeking consent, and I think if the Mushroom people had never joined, nobody would have resented them or blamed them either. I think this episode was careful enough to win me over.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that. So for those who either haven't seen or don't remember Duel at Devlin, how dare you? Um, the plot of that episode, basically, is Shira kind of martyrs herself and will not fight the occupying Horde troopers until the townspeople will. Which my argument at the time was that if we read the townspeople as um, kind of like, middle class whites, I think she's right that, like, we have to do the work of dismantling the oppression, but I think this episode probably is, does a better job of speaking to how things actually are, which is, like, the princesses own their shit and are like, you know, we have to clean up what our compatriots are doing and help the people who are less positioned to fight than we are, and you're right, Bo does ask, but there's no imposition and there's no assumption that they will do the work. You know, the princesses do the work. I think that's important.
1: While we're kind of talking about the vintage series, have you looked to see what Erlandia is?
0: Uh, no. Shit, I didn't even think about it. Let me go get my little book. Okay. All right. So I'm looking for... Okay, locations. Yes. Denebria, Doom Tower, Dream Caves, Elves Pool. I'm really close. Uh... Am I spelling it wrong? It's E R E R E. Oh well, still.
1: Yeah, I mean it shouldn't be that far in the alphabet.
0: It's not in the book, Lauren. I I don't know. I this place must not exist. <laughs> what do Wild.
1: you know? Wild. Uh, I am looking at Wiki Gray Skull. Okay. And Wiki Gray Skull says Erlandia is King Duplessis' kingdom in the episode "The Mines of Mondor."
0: oh we watched that episode we
1: did but do you want to know something else yeah they send uh one of the characters off to work in the mines and the mines are on the planet Critus.
0: whoa no so way that's a
1: twofer and we we didn't we missed Critus last week that's cool Critus and erlandia are both throwback names
0: is, I don't even know if King Duplis is in this book to be quite... Oh yeah, okay, here we go. It says King Duplis ruled Airlandia, a kingdom that begrudgingly aided the Horde. When his son, Prince Hazar, was sent to the mines of Mondor, he set out the Great Rebellion for aid. Okay, neat. Great job, Shira staff You have stumped me again. Is there and a you stumped picture? the book.
1: Is there a picture of him? Is he a mushroom guy?
0: No, he's just a green old man. He wears a green robe. People aren't the color of clothes that they wear. <laughs> He's a, a white man with a green robe.
1: The Mushroom People are much more interesting. Very Mario Brothers.
0: Okay, I wrote down that they look kind of like Paul F. Tompkins because they're little mustaches.
1: Just a whole nation of those. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, they're cute. Yeah, I I really like this episode. I like the the kind of world building on the fringes and... Yeah, I think the morals and ethics in play here really did remind me of classic Shira. Maybe we should record a moral at the end of this episode, even.
1: We can try. We've tried it before and have done a middling job.
0: Middling? You know what? Middling is good enough in the time of COVID.
1: <laughs> have an acceptable day. Anyway, <laughs> um, my favorite character in this episode is Entrapta, incidentally. Oh. Um, I really like the way she's written. They show her at the beginning. Um, I think this is the the most evidence they've really put in the script for her potentially being autistic or otherwise neurodiverse. She's having a lot of trouble understanding sarcasm at the beginning of the episode. She's taking everything <laughs> very literally. But then she uses that as a strength, and she's able to very thoroughly and gently teach Wrong, Hordak how to wink and explain the physical nuance and like how it sort of implies language in a way that yeah it, it turns around what is posed in the beginning as sort of a joke as a power of hers really uh, kind of a shout out to last week's email about her being a feminist her differences she's not bullied by them she turns them into power
0: What a good read. I gotta take the easy way out and say my favorite character in this episode is Ron Hordak. Him learning how to wink is so delightful. His, like, not quite grasp of of kind of sarcasm or, like, how to communicate with people, but he's trying so hard. So, so good.
1: Yeah, the first time I watched this episode, he had me scream laughing. Like, the hardest I've laughed watching this show based on, um... Brothers, someone's coming! Wink! And then Adora's like, That's not how winking works! Is someone coming or not? <laughs> and then yeah. and then later on, Keston's read when he leads the other clones out beyond the walls to find the rebels, and they're like, Where are the rebels? It's like, Right beside you! Hilarious! So cute!
0: Yes, absolutely. This was my second choice. If we couldn't have gotten Keston for... Uh, save the cat. I wanted to talk to him for this one because wrong Hordak really has a lot of moments. Uh, speaking of Hordak stuff, I think it is pretty bold for Horde Prime to keep regular Hordak at his side. It's kind of like tempting fate, isn't it?
1: It is. My question about that is, is Horde Prime even aware that that's mm. Hordak?
0: That's a good question. Uh, I think he is by the end of the episode. Because so there's this really cool moment that I didn't recap where Horde Prime thinks he recognizes the name Etheria and goes to like this hall of kind of expired Horde Prime bodies and accesses one of their memories to like remember things about Etheria. and meanwhile Hordak is reminiscing about the planet himself, and Horde Prime seems to pick up on something being amiss with Hordak.
1: Yes, but I'm still not sure if he picks it up because he knows that's Hordak, or if it's just because Hordak's being a weirdo. We know that it's Hordak because he keeps reminding us by gazing at that like tech gem from Entrapta and thinking about her. Um, very, very precious, and I ship it, as you know. Um, but I actually like the read that Horde Prime cares so little about the individuality of his clones, that once he's wiped them clean, he's just forgotten. Uh, as an aside, what I li- one thing I like about the other bodies, the previous sort of iterations of Horde Prime, is I think it opens up more doors for like other She-Ra content, both canon and non-canon. If you can have a universe like this, where Shira has taken several other forms in several other different women, and also Horde Prime has had a bunch of different bodies. You could kind of just tell whatever story you want and just say it was elsewhere on their very long timeline.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, this is another great example of kind of world-building at the fringes. Like The show doesn't really stop to ponder what it means that there is an archive of Horde Prime bodies, but you're absolutely right. Uh, I like that Bo concepts himself as the team's resident regular guy. I think that's very sweet.
1: Yes, I like his voice acting a lot, and I like Adora's as well. Another, like, laugh out loud moment was when Glimmer tore off her cloak, and you hear Amy Carrero do this, like, vocal fry, just like, oh, there she is in the background. <laughs> uh, she treats both Bo and Glimmer with that sort of face-palming OMG vibe.
0: yes. I love that when the characters are talking about Horde Prime, Catra grabs the back of her neck. That's like a nice little small moment. Oh, yeah. Uh, I like that during the reunions, Bo and Perfuma have a Spider-Man moment. I don't know how long that's going to last. Spoiler.
1: <laughs> uh, I did kind of want the Spider-Man kiss, but...
0: Yeah. I'm
1: okay without it, too.
0: But it wasn't raining. And then, so... To touch back on like the oppressed villager thing, there's a couple lines in the sequence of like freeing Orlandia that I, I thought were quite resonant. Uh, I should have said this earlier, but you're, you talk about the shopkeeper. She has this line, we're all just trying to get through the day without any trouble. I feel like that's something a lot of people are saying right now. Uh, especially a lot of people who just want to pretend that like the world's not on fire.
1: Yeah, well... The scary thing, one of the many scary things about living in COVID-19 is that more and more external forces are, in fact, asking us to act normal. I mean, I still have to, from home, go to my job every day and do the exact same job duties that I would have if I were going into the office.
0: And you still dress up. You just posted about that online.
1: I do. I still dress up every day for work, so I at least feel like there's some dynamic change happening in my life, in my routine, but I also have grad school. I still have to do my homework and pass my classes if I want my MBA, and so sometimes it does just feel like my head is down, and I have to just get through it, because if I go into a panic spiral or think too much about who I love that might be getting sick, um, who at who I mean is it safe for me to go get my groceries then I'm gonna drop the things that the world is still expecting me to do
0: yeah I mean that's a great point I think um it is a survival tactic that a lot of us have to do at at least intermittently but also it's disturbing that the highest voices in our land are insisting that we do it all of the time and just not pay attention to all of the many examples where COVID was handled better you know,
1: yeah i I just uh, tweeted one of my many political tweets was the fact that for for being a person who has a political podcast, I clearly don't know exactly how my government works because Donald Trump announced that he was going to withdraw us from the World Health Organization, and it just really didn't seem like something one dude should be able to do. But I guess I don't. I guess.
0: I'm not 100% that he can. I was reading that there's still, like, procedures he has to go through, but I'm not... I don't know. I think this is going to be one of those things where he just, like, has bravado, because also we're still paid up for the year. I don't know. I don't really understand it either, except that it's all fucking nonsense. Fuck Donald Trump.
1: Yeah, doesn't it make you sort of... Okay, here I go, into my spiral. Doesn't it sort of make you worry... Like, if we're as politically engaged as we are, and we care as much as we do, and yet we can see the gaps in our knowledge, like, what are more mainstream people thinking and doing? Like, does it not frighten people every day, like it frightens me, that we can't, like, go to the EU right now? Like, we just can't, we're just not allowed.
0: I... I don't want to think about this too hard cuz okay. I'm going to get more upset. Okay. I think some people are frightened and I think more people than I wish are like, well, who wants to go to Europe anyway? Those those commies, right? Anyway,
1: I wanted um, to go to Europe. I I canceled a trip and now it's not even about
0: You a, must be a communist.
1: Maybe. It's not about um even you know my desire to go on a vacation anymore it's my wondering what happens if i truly get to a point where i feel like unsafe you know i know yeah i know as a privileged white woman who has a job and a really great salary right now that i am one of the later people who would feel that threatened that they'd have to literally escape but I'm worried about all of us. We don't have to spiral anymore. Let's pull out of it.
0: Well, but hold on, though, because the other line I wanted to call out from the episode is when Natasha sees the violence that Spinnerella is perpetrating in her chip state and asks, what if she can't come back from this? Which I think is something people, you know, ask about their friends and family members who go Trumpy, but it's something that I ask myself about the country a lot right now. So maybe we don't need to put a finer point on it than that line. Please! <gasps> nothing to do with her you have to believe me the shopkeeper no wonder she didn't trust us adora what if she can't come back from this
1: she's still in there she needs you to remind her who she is and we need to remind prime who we are for the honor of grayskull
0: well i guess that brings us kind of to a topic of responsibility and like what do we take ownership of you know are there things we should feel guilty about Are should we be more aware of the things we say and do to other people and so uh when lauren suggested we talk about this i immediately glommed onto it because i have so many opinions and it's kind of tangentially related to my life and it really bubbled up a few days ago so harper's bizarre magazine published this incredibly stupid op-ed signed by like what like 40 some uh quote thought leaders about how like um internet discourse is destroying liberal dialogue and cancel culture is is ruining the discourse of ideas that are foundational to democracy and if we aren't nicer to transphobes like jk rowling we're um sliding into fascism essentially Right? Like, I don't think I'm really kind of overstating their premise.
1: Yeah, it, it really boiled down. I mean, my read of it was, we have a right to free speech. Um, you know, not everyone on that letter was American, and therefore free speech doesn't mean the same as it would to all of our listeners. But everyone has a right to their opinion, and if you snuff out these opinions, even if you don't like them... You are canceling people, and you're harming their livelihoods, and it's unfair, uh, and it's like a slippery slope into, yeah, as you say, fascism.
0: But the thing that all of the and like, some people who send the letter are like, garbage. Like, I'm sorry, J.K. Rowling is like a trash person. I know she wrote like, incredible literature that meant a lot to a lot of people, but like, there's no reason to listen to her at this point in time. But there's some people who are like, good-ass journalists, you know, who sign that and it it just kind of blows my mind that none of them thought about the power dynamics of this, right? These are all people who have an incredible platform to literally say whatever they want pretty much wherever they want. And the thing that they don't like is that people are shitty to them on Twitter about it. When, like, they can publish shit about how, like, being trans is is, like, some crime against humanity and that's okay, but then when someone quote, treats, quote tweets them and calls them trash, that's fascism? Are you fucking kidding me?
1: Yeah, I remember that the, the term risk-taking being improperly used in this letter. Like, if we're shouted down on Twitter, then there's not going to be risks. People will be afraid to take risks if they're shouted at like this. But, to your point about power dynamics, right? Like, There are plenty of authors who are from underrepresented communities who I think absolutely would take risks, talk to a Black journalist, talk to a Native American journalist, hire trans writers, and you will get these quote-unquote risk-taking stories, but those people aren't hired. They're not given a voice. They're not given a shot. And so I don't know, when you're saying... You're, you're snuffing out risk. Like, are you really saying you're silencing our shitty opinions about trans people? Because then, yes, good.
0: Right. It's like, th- this is... And look, I have opinions about cancel culture. Big surprise. I, but I don't think we're at the point yet where we can say it's gone too far. Right? I th- I'm i stealing this from our buddy Chris Geiger, who's very smart and doesn't watch she so he wouldn't ever come on the show. But Chris's point is that our generation has felt disenfranchised forever. Because, I mean, really since Reagan, but definitely since Bush, any political power we've had has basically been illusory. Like, unless you live in a swing state and are like one of 300 magical people who determines the election, Republicans have basically rigged the system so that nothing we do means shit, right? And so we all feel disenfranchised and miserable and angry, only... Uh, compounded by COVID right now. And so, yes, we take to Twitter to air our frustrations. And there is sometimes collateral damage, and that sucks. I cut this part out of last week's episode, but some woman came at me on Tinder because I worked with Max Temkin, and that fucking sucks, and I hated it. But... I still think this is a process by which justice gets done sometimes, even if it's sloppy. And even if sometimes it overreaches, it is one of the only ways that people have power right now.
1: Well, and here's the thing about your Tinder story, right? I love you. You're fine. Like that that happened to you and it sucked and a couple more weeks are going to pass and like it's going to be fine. And, And to equate that with oppression is just false.
0: Exactly like I don't like strangers yelling at me like I said it feels like shit but also the only negative effect it had on me was that my day was kind of bad and I don't like having bad days but like I'm okay you know and I just watched my business partner get canceled and guess what he fucking deserved it he deserved it and everything everyone said about him that is fucking justice because it's not going to happen anywhere else to that man it had to happen on Twitter.
1: I also kind of wonder, I mean, okay, I really despise especially seeing, like, cis white guys push back against cancel culture and claiming that it's gone too far because I have yet to see, quote-unquote, cancel culture stick against any powerful and very deserving white guy. Like, let's talk about the heaviest-hitting examples we can think of. So, like, Kevin Spacey and Matt Lauer and Louis C.K., I actually like Weinstein is maybe the best example, and that's really sad and scary because he's actually going to do some time, but most of those guys are already selling out shows, writing books, and even if they never do anything again, even if they just fade off into a cabin in the woods, which they won't do for some reason, I wish they would they have more money than most people listening to this podcast will ever have. Right. So, like, how bad can canceling really be?
0: Right. You could. They could walk away from their lives right now and just live in solitude and, like, not put their shitty ideas out into the world and still lead a more comfortable life than 95% of the people on this fucking planet. Right?
1: Absolutely. So- and I guess the argument is, like, well, Louis C.K. can't have the TV show he used to have. Oh. And, like, I don't care. Nobody has a right, right to that. Like, you not yeah. having a TV show anymore isn't depression. It's not. And so, you
0: and I are never going to have TV shows. <laughs> no. Which, frankly, is bogus.
1: I know. I deserve a TV show. Your friend from LA recently said that I deserve one and I haven't gotten it out of my head.
0: <laughs> That's true. For anyone who watched Match Game afterwards, Gary Lucy messaged me and was like, Liz and Lauren need to be on TV. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: gamer Daddy and Gamer Princess. I'll do it any day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, cancel culture really, I think, disproportionately harms people who already didn't have a platform and the people making the biggest stink about it are people who already have power, already have the biggest microphone, and they're mistaking discomfort for something much worse. And sometimes you just have to be uncomfortable, especially if you're a transphobic... Tra- <laughs> sometimes you have to be canceled, especially if you're a transphobic shitlord.
0: And isn't, isn't, to me, like, that is so much of the current political discourse, is like people who... Had a hundred, it's the, the um, Willy Wonka meme, right? People who had a hundred percent of everything now feel that having 98 percent of everything is oppression. But really, it's just a scout close to do equality. And like, I think JK Rowling is going to survive if people call her a piece of shit. I do. I, I'm sorry. And again, I do want to go on record as saying, I, I think I can see a time when we need to rein it in, right? I don't think that's impossible. But I think we're so far from there.
1: Right. It's, th- we don't yeah, have to talk about it yet because we're not right. there. Like, prioritizing a hypothetical over the reality we're actually in is crazy.
0: Right. Exactly. And I think, like, look, I don't, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I don't spend my days calling people shitheads. Like, that's just not what I do. But I think that uh, I'm glad people get canceled sometimes. So, uh, a lot of the people who get it deserve it. I actually can't think of any high-profile examples of someone who got canceled and was later exonerated. Can you?
1: No, that's kind of another thing. It's It's this myth of, like, what about all these people who are truly sorry and showed growth and change? Don't they deserve to come back? Like, well, yeah, I actually do believe in restorative justice very strongly. I do believe in letting people apologize and give them space to grow and change their minds and maybe someday we can hear from them again but jk rowling is the opposite of that right now and well there's no
0: contrition first of all right no but also there's a difference between like personal restorative justice and like yeah i get i get a tv show right like i don't think that louis ck get him recording another album or going on another tour isn't restorative justice like Like you said, no one deserves these things. No one has a right to these things. Like, let his restorative justice be like finding peace, right? And like, with the people that he wronged. And not fucking having another HBO show.
1: You know, or not. uh, This kind of goes back to the beginning of the episode, but the people that these predators hurt, they're also under no obligation to be the people that forgive and to be the community that welcomes them back when i say restorative justice i just mean like you get to have a place in society you get to have a life that is whole and fulfilling but you might not get to be friends with those particular executives or actresses anymore and that's fine
0: i guess i just mean i want them and maybe they have but You know, people tend to make public statements without doing the work privately, which is something Mandy Moore just said about Ryan Adams, that he made this grandiloquent statement to, you know, this British tabloid, but never once contacted her to say he was sorry. Now, Mandy is under no obligation, as you said, to forgive him, but he probably should put in the work of, like, trying to make amends, right?
1: Well, right, because if you go to a tabloid or you go on Twitter, and this has happened in my personal life, too, with, like, apologies that never circled back to me then that apology was not for the people that were wronged. The apology is for public attention and coddling.
0: Yep, it's because Ryan wants to make another record. And I'm sorry, dude, I really liked your last one, but you're done. (laughs) Get the fuck out.
1: My final point on sort of cancel culture, and this is memed a lot, so I can't say it's like an original thought of mine, but I also think we need to remember the difference between like an opinion and just a deplorable fracture of human rights. Yeah. Transphobia is not an opinion. Like, dehumanizing people from the LGBTQ plus community is not an opinion. As they say, I don't like cream in my coffee is an opinion. Or, like, I don't like pineapple on my pizza. Because no one is harmed. Anyone that is harmed by those statements is just doing a bit on the internet or whatever. But if your opinion's pull human rights away from other people who are just trying to live their lives then you don't get to have that anymore (laughs) that's not an opinion
0: it's so heartbreaking that like of all people you'd think jk rowling would understand that people had the right to tell their own story and to be who they know that they are and it's just heartbreaking that she wants to deny that of so many people who look up to her and just fuck her man I'm I'm in such a bad mood today. Fuck everybody except the people listening. I love you guys. I love you too, Lauren.
1: Good. I already said I love you, but I'll say it again, I guess.
0: (laughs) I guess. All right. Well, I'll take it for now. That's probably, I think we're both probably salty enough that like we maybe should wrap this up.
1: Yeah. Let's say a couple more nice things about She-Ra. So uh, in An Ill Wind, I noticed the beauty of the sound design on this show for maybe the first time. Right as um, Spinnerella sort of breaks from the net and leaves, she escapes. Just the swirling and the wind and the crashing. It's a wonderful soundscape. I don't know who's in charge of that, but I'm going to go look at the credits and, I don't know, shout them out on Twitter or something. That is a great member of the crew. Uh, and then I also, uh, have we seen anyone pitch like a she board game yet?
0: Uh no, there has we did the Shira RPG unofficial.
1: Yeah, I'm talking more like like Risk or something because the replacing of the Horde symbol with the Shira sword in the mm. sky. Nothing has ever felt more like strategy board game to me in this series. Like, I can see uh, even if it's just a, a skinned version of of Risk, the horde versus the rebellion taking over territories there's got to be something there
0: i'm into that i'd play that for sure
1: uh anyway i want to shout out one of our listeners i think after a an angry emotional rant this is a nice note to nod to we had someone named lucas write to us and it was just kind of a mostly a generic and sweet fan letter talking about what the show has meant to him uh, but he said that sometimes when he's having a particularly bad day, if he hears um, anti-gay sentiment from people who should care about him, uh, you know how it gets better was kind of, I think, our generation's mantra.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, he says that sometimes he just closes his eyes and says to himself, we're going to win in the end. Aww. And I just... Got a shiver down my spine when I read that letter because it's That's so sweet. I know, it's such a fucked up time and what like a privilege we have to be the people who get to talk about this show that can really bring like a beacon of hope to people in their everyday lives. And so we're really riled up right now. Uh you're hangry, I know for a fact. And
0: I didn't eat lunch (laughs) because the restaurant didn't kick out people who weren't wearing masks.
1: Yes. And so your food is coming any minute now. But um, until then, uh, thank you, Lucas, for reminding us that we can always close our eyes and say we're going to win in the end, because I want to believe that we are. Uh,
0: what, I, I think it's uh, Dr. King who said the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice.
1: Hey, we found it. We found our end of the episode moral.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's what you always dreamed.
1: Awkward. Awkward. <laughs> Thanks for listening to she raw Progressive of Power If you like our show You can rate and review us On Apple Podcasts We super appreciate it You can also send in Any feedback you have To our email address Progressiveofpower At gmail.com Or to our Facebook page At facebook.com Backslash progressive of Power